So uh, be with us here this morning after. Just hold on for a minute after we're done and then uh, join with us in that celebration. So John chapter 2, 1 through 11. Uh, I know, let's see what time it is. If I work really hard, I can get through this pretty quickly. I know I can shave off at least 30 seconds from my message. <laughs> well, there's 30 seconds right there. Okay, we're back. John 2, 1 through 11, the glory of God and the miraculous. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were, there, there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast uh, had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to them, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you've kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now, one of the things that, that I've been a uh, pursuer of, and as a congregation, you guys have, have come on the journey with me, is that what we've been praying for and asking God is that he would manifest his glory in our midst. Amen? Why are we asking him that? Because it's what we're supposed to do. Do we know what we're asking for? When we ask God to manifest his glory, it's a great prayer. But do we know what it means? What is the glory of God? What does it look like when God reveals his glory? Paul Manwaring, is a quote from him, says, God's glory is the result of God expressing himself in other words, everything he has made and does and the attributes, nature, and power behind those actions are his glory. It is said of artists that they do at least two things. They copy and express themselves. But God is the artist who has nothing to copy, at least to begin with, and so he expresses himself. John 1 and 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So he is the originator of all things, and this reality positions us to look for the revelation of glory in the various ways that God expresses himself and to have both glory and God's expressions expand in our field of perception. That's the quote that he made. It may have been a lot for you to chew on, uh, but let me see if I can bring it a little bit closer to home. Why do we focus so much on the power of God being released in our midst? Because the miracles of healings, deliverance, provision are not just the way God legitimizes the gospel. They are an expression of the gospel. Listen to what I'm saying. When people get saved, healed, when they experience God's provision, when God reveals himself, it is an expression of the gospel. It is the gospel being manifested to them. Through the miracle, through the demonstration of his power, his glory is revealed. Our text says, John 2 and 11, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and the sign manifested his glory. And when his glory was manifested, it goes on to say, and his disciples believed in him. 
This verse makes the connection between God's glory and His miraculous works. The miraculous works that God does are an expression of His glory. So in, in looking at that, as we go through the rest of this message, uh, we're going to take a couple of points here and see if we can't uh, uh, really reinforce what we're looking at uh, in the manifestation of God and His glory. First thing we want to look at is under the title, Hearing God. There's a principle that the Holy Spirit wants us to understand if we are to experience the glory of God through the miraculous, the answer to our prayers. It's learning to do, like Mary told the servants, learning to do, like Bubba said here this morning, whatever he tells you to do. There are two principles here. One, you got to do, which is obey. And number two, whatever he tells you, which is God speaking to you. Now, if you don't believe that God speaks to you today, then it doesn't put any obligation for you to do what He tells you to do. Right? So that's why I think it's important that we understand that God spoke, God speaks, and God will continue to speak. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Word, and the Word speaks. Right? So God speaks, and then when He speaks to us, See, we're real confident that God speaks to other people, but we're not real confident that God speaks to us. But I want to assure you, the Bible says, my sheep hear my voice, and if his sheep hear his voice, and we are his sheep, then we hear the voice of God. Once we hear the voice of God, now we don't always distinguish the voice of God. We're not always sure if it's the voice of God, but you do hear the voice of God. And when you hear the voice of God, then it's expedient upon us to do what he says. The miracles of God that we find in the scriptures are typically preceded by a request from God. And these requests are his invitations or his point of contact for a release of faith because faith needs to have an element of risk in it for it to be faith. So God speaks to you. Is it God? I'm not sure. Could be God. I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to do this or not because there's always, is God in this? And, and it's like if, if you had 100% certainty you would do it, there would be no faith involved. But because you're never 100% sure, there's a measure of uncertainty in there. It requires risk. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And when you take a risk, that's oftentimes where you will see your faith manifested and God responds to faith. We've said it this way before. I got this from a guy named Miles Monroe. He said, faith is the currency of the kingdom. In this world, the economy of this world is money. It's currency that you have. But the economy of the kingdom of God is based on faith. Do you believe God? Do you trust Him? And how is faith and trust manifested by doing what He says? Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now in the Greek, which most of us don't know Greek, I know a little Greek, but I've since moved from that neighborhood. No, just kidding. There are several words in Greek translated as the word word, which we have in the English language. And two of these words are the word logos and the word rhema. Those are the Greek words that we translate into the same English word, word. The word used in this word that we translate as, in this verse that we translate as word is the Greek word rhema. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the rhema of God, as opposed to the Greek word logos. So what's the difference? The written word is the logos word. 
It's the principles of God. It's what we have in the Bible. It's what God has written down. Rhema refers to a specific, quickened, or freshly spoken word, or a living word. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is the rhema Word of God. In other words, I'm going through something. I have the Bible. I know what the Bible says. I read the Bible. But what am I supposed to do in this particular situation, in this particular circumstance? How many times have you been going through the Word of God and all of a sudden, boom, some scripture is highlighted to you or all of a sudden you've read the Word of God and a scripture comes to your mind or comes to your remembrance and it's, it's what that is, is that that is the freshly spoken Spirit of God's freshly speaking the Word of God to you, and that is a rhema word. That is uh, uh, God uh, quickening His Word to you. But God can speak to you through the Word of God, but He can also speak to you outside of the Word of God. He's not limited to just the Bible to speak to you. We've had messages before, we will in the, in, uh, again in the future, how God can speak to you through other people. God can speak to you through a prophetic utterance. This morning he spoke to us uh, through what equals a prophetic utterance, which is a, t a message in, in an unknown language, and then the interpretation of that unknown language. He can speak to you through a vision. He can speak to you through a dream. There's all different ways that God can speak to you. I will put this caution, however. If God speaks to you from the Word of God, uh, we, we're pretty sure that that... that uh, because some people interpret the Word of God a little bit weird, but if He speaks to you from the Word of God, then you can pretty, be pretty sure that's sound. If He speaks to you outside of the Word of God, you always have to bring that back to the Word of God. It cannot be something contrary to this Word. Right? Okay, so that being said, uh, um, you know, God speaks, and what we're going to find in our text which is taken from the Gospel of John. If you were to read the Gospel of John, there are seven supernatural events recorded in the Gospel of John. We're going to focus on the first, which we read as our text, the wedding of Cana. And what we find here is that led by the Spirit, um, that every one of these supernatural events, and we're going to see that in Cana, but also throughout the book of John, is preceded by a request or an invitation. Uh, it's a command, it's a, a request, but I want you to see his commands or his directions as an invitation into the miraculous. So every one of these supernatural events in the book of John is preceded by a request from Jesus asking the people who are going to experience the miracles to do something first. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Now why is that important? Well, we're going to find out. Brings us to our second point. The word of God and the obedience of faith. Again in our text, Jesus said to them in John 2, 7 through 8, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. In the eyes of the servants, they are taking water to the master of the feast who is looking for wine because they ran out of wine. So the servants are going to do what they're told to do, but the master of the feast is looking for wine, but Jesus is telling them to serve water. Now what we need to understand is in order to experience the glory of God through the miraculous, we must learn to do whatever he tells us, even if it violates our understanding, or if it uh, uh, is a confrontation with what we are experiencing and what needs to be done. It's not clear when, in our text, the water turned to wine, 
but it's possible, and I believe that on the way to the master of the banquet, they were carrying water, just like Jesus said, knowing that he wanted wine. I think that when they did this, on the way there, this is when the water turned to wine. So a lot of times what happens is we say, okay, God, I believe in the miraculous. I believe you're going to do something here. So give me some wine. I'll do this. But when I see the water turn to wine, then I'll take it to the master of the feast. Right? Because if, it, if it's already wine, there's no risk on my part. But that's not how it works. Jesus said, take the water, fill the water pots, Take the water, take it to the master of the feast. Wait a minute, it's water. Why would I do that? It doesn't make sense. How in the world is that going to work? However, obedience is necessary to see the miraculous take place in your life. Uh, the miraculous follows obedience. We want our obedience to follow the miraculous, and it doesn't work that way. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So the servants acted in faith. And remember what I said to you, Faith is the currency of the kingdom. They had drawn water, they knew it, and somehow, I believe, by the time they got to the master of the banquet, the water had turned to wine. Now, what you need to realize about God is God delights in faith, right? Uh, um, it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6, I should have put this in my notes, but I didn't, but I have a Bible. <laughs> I can turn there. It says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6, unfortunately I have a new Bible, and this newer Bible is a little harder to turn. You know how when you get a new Bible, the pages stick together? Yeah, so I'm learning how to use this one. But in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God delights in faith. God delights in obedience, even when it seems that we're doing something foolish. There is something about God telling us to do something, an invitation from God that does not make sense in the natural, that pulls on our faith, and it's our faith that pleases God. You might be wondering if you could do something like these servants, much less how. Well, there are a couple of practical things we can learn from their example that can help us in our endeavor to see the glory of God released in our midst. How many of y'all want to see the glory of God? Well, one way that the glory of God is manifested through learning how to cooperate with God. When we do what God says, it's an invitation into the miraculous, and the miraculous releases the glory of God in our midst. So first of all, what we need to learn how to do is focus on the invitation. Focus on the command that Jesus has given to us. When we take Jesus at his word, focusing on what he's saying as an invitation rather than focusing on the obstacles, we will see the glory of God released in our midst. John 4, 46-53, Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where he had made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Now, I don't know how many times you've read this. I was reading a, a book that was bringing this out. It really kind of helped me. How many times have you read this as that Jesus was chastising them? Oh, you people, you have no faith. If you don't see signs and wonders, you're never going to believe. But you know what? There's another way to, to read this. 
What if Jesus was letting them know that, and, and he was doing it out of compassion, and he was saying to them, you know, the truth is, unless you people see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. I want you to believe, so therefore, I'm going to do the signs and wonders. Right? So the nobleman said to Jesus, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go on your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. He inquired of them the hour when he got better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives, and he himself believed and his whole household. So what do I want us to gather out of this story is this man's statement indicates that he knew who Jesus was. He had heard about Jesus. He knew that when Jesus laid hands on the sick and they recovered, they recovered, and for this reason, he was anxious and persistent for Jesus to come to his house and lay hands on his son who was dying. He actually asked, beseeched uh, uh, Jesus to come to his house several times in the passage that we read. In response to the Father, Jesus said, you may go. Now, how, have you ever gone to God and you had it in your mind that this is how God's going to do what he's going to do? I'm going to ask the Lord, and when I ask God, God's going to do this. And when he does this, I know everything's going to be okay. This man already had figured out, because he already seen how Jesus works. He knew that Jesus lays hands on the sick. He knew that they get better. So if I can just get Jesus to come to my house, everything's going to be okay. But Jesus didn't come to his house. Jesus said, go. Your son lives. Now, what we don't know is if his son was going to live and, and uh, uh, you know, whether he went or not. What I tend to think is that as he went, his son got better. Because when he uh, accepted what Jesus said, not as an obstacle, because we could look at that and we could say, well, he's not coming. And if he's not coming, nothing's going to happen. Hey, he didn't pray for me. He didn't call me out. He didn't give me a word of knowledge. And so if that doesn't happen to me, I'm not going to get healed. I'm not, God's going to do that. He's not going to do that in my life. No. Uh, what a lot of times happens is you've got it in your mind that this is how it has to happen, but sometimes it doesn't happen that way. In this particular instance, Jesus said, you may go. Your son will live. Uh, 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 what do I do? Well, I might as well go. Instead of focusing on the fact that Jesus was not going to come, he chose to focus on the invitation to believe. Okay. He said to go home. And my son lives. So I'm going to go home. Now, what you find is that this was not a journey from one block to the next. Because he didn't find out to the next day when he got close that his son got better. And he said, when did he get better? About this time, about the same time that Jesus said, go on your way. Your son lives. He went on his way. I believe as he went on his way, his son was healed. And you say, well, you don't have scripture for that. Well, I have another scripture for that. It's not in the, in the notes, so don't look for it. But it's in the, the ten lepers. Remember the ten lepers come to Jesus? And they said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus said, go show yourself to the priests. Now the Bible says, as they were going, they were cleansed. They said, well, how is that faith? Because they were going to go show themselves to the priests, the very one who had said, you're unclean, you're leprous, don't touch, don't go near, don't show yourself to anybody. Why would I want to go back to somebody that gave me a bad report? Why would I want to go back to somebody that, and, and when they were going, they were still leprous. 
He didn't say, okay, you're cleansed. Now go yourself, go show yourself to the priest so that he can verify what you now see was a cleansing. No, they were still leprous. They were still diseased. They still had what they had. But the Bible says, as they obeyed, they looked at what Jesus said as an opportunity, as an invitation to believe. And so they obeyed what he said. When they obeyed what he said, where are they going? They're going to the priests, the priests who had told them they were unclean before, but Jesus said to do it as they were going, they were cleansed. Well, you cleanse me, and then I'll go. No. No. It's as they were going, they were cleansed. Right? See, that offends our mind. It offends the way we look at life. It offends how we think. But remember, we've been talking about, uh, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 6, uh, the weapons are, uh, how does it go? Yeah, are not carnal, but mighty through God, pulling down the strongholds, casting down imaginations, mindsets, ways of thinking, every high thing that opposes itself against the knowledge of God, and being ready to uh, uh, come against any forms of disobedience once our disobedience has been made complete. So what is he asking us to do? To transform our way of thinking. We keep trying to bring God into our circle, and God is not going to do that. My ways are not... Your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Why is it that we don't see the miraculous as much in the United States of America as other people in the world see it? It's not because God's different. It's not because God's not the same. He already told us in His Word it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe it's because of our worldview and our mindset and the way that we have been taught and ingrained to do life. It's harder for us to just take Him at His Word. That's foolish. Makes no sense to my mind. I'm not going to do something that. I'm not going to do that. You know, unless, like Thomas, unless he, I see him, put my finger in his side, uh, put my hand, you know, in his hand, well, I'm not going to believe. And what did Jesus do when he showed up? He said, Thomas, put your finger in my side, put your finger in my hand. He said, blessed are those, you're, you know, uh, you believe because you see. Blessed are those who, do not, who believe and do not see. You hear what I'm saying? God's the same. We just have to learn how God works. We have to learn the ways of God. And what are we really learning this morning? Hear God and do what he says. It doesn't say hear God, witness God, and then do what he says. It says hear God, do what he says, and then you'll witness the glory of God. Well, what if it doesn't happen? Do it anyway. If you don't do it, I can promise you one thing, it's not going to happen. Right? So, first thing is, um, what we said before, got to go back because I forgot what I said. Focus on the invitation. <laughs> Second thing is, accept the invitation. Accept it, John 5, 1 through 9. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And there, uh, Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pole, which is called he, in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the water to move. For an angel went down at certain times into the pool, stirred up the water, and then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years, and when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew he had already been in that condition a long time. He said to him, Do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. 
Now, wait a minute. The, the man's lame. He can't walk. He's an invalid. He's been an invalid for 38 years, and who is this guy telling me to get up and walk? I'm sitting here telling him, I can't do that. I need somebody to help me. I'm here waiting for the water to move, and if there's somebody here that would help me. So anyway, Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. If someone had been an invalid for 30 years, they most likely have learned to cope. And they have taken on the identity of an invalid. If they are healed, their identity changes. And that's a hard concept for people to grasp. I've already got my whole world figured out. And it's built around my problem. It's built around my sickness. It's built around my affliction. And I've got everything. I know when I get up in the morning, I know exactly where this is. I know where my medication is. If I, I don't want to go anywhere different, I don't want to change anything that I do because I know how to function with my affliction. I don't know how to function without it. And whether you realize it or not, it becomes a part of your identity. Right? Some people are afraid to be healed because they don't know how to cope, they, because they know how to cope with their affliction, but not with the new challenges that will come if they're healed. Who said, well, I don't understand that. Let me give you a, a simple illustration. Okay, would you like to be healed? Yes. Okay, let me pray for you. Well, wait a minute. If, I, if you pray for me, am I going to lose my disability? I'm talking about finances. I'm not talking about... If I get well, I'm going to have to let my disability go. How am I going to live? What am I going to do? And so a lot of people are afraid to get healed because they don't know how they're going to cope with life if they do. Right? I think sometimes we thinketh too much. Do you want to get well? Yes! I'll worry about the rest of it later. If God is big enough to heal me, he's big enough to provide for me. What did this man say? I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. This man is explaining and complaining at the same time. But he's missing what's really going on is that he's waiting for an angel to stir the pool and God himself is stirring the pool in front of him. He doesn't know that someone greater than the angel is standing right there in front of him and that person is saying to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Jesus was implying something here. The first thing he told the man to do was to get up. Then he told him to pick up his mat and then Jesus told him to walk and the man got up and walked. Now, how did he get healed? Did he all of a sudden begin to feel power? Was he healed after he felt power and that encouraged him to get up and walk? The scripture doesn't tell us, but there are some indications. Remember, he said, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, I can't prove it, but I think that nothing happened until he obeyed the first command to get up. I think that it, it was his first command when he started trying to get up that he began to experience his healing. A lot of times we're waiting to feel the power of God. We're waiting to feel God do something in us before we try to move. And God didn't say, when you feel the power, move. God said, get up 
And when he started getting up, that's when he felt the power. I preached a couple of times in different services. I know Anna, Joe, and Bobby have heard me preach this a couple of times, but uh, um, there was a guy with a withered hand, right? Didn't have an ability to use his hand. And I don't know, uh, I haven't been around a lot of people with withered hands, but I just imagine that he is a withered hand, he couldn't use it. And Jesus said, stretch out your hand. What? What's wrong with you? I can't stretch out my hand. It's a withered hand. That's the definition of a withered hand. I can't stretch it out. Jesus said, stretch out your hand. And when he stretched it out, that's when he got healed. We want to get healed so we can stretch it out. But this man didn't hear, I'll heal you, and then you stretch it out. What he heard from God is stretch it out, and when he stretched it out, that's when his healing came. Does it make sense? Yes, Jesus and his commands can offend our mind. But he's not looking for rational obedience. He's looking for obedience. He's looking for faith. And faith trusts God when there appears no reason other than to take God at his word for us to trust him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He might have been questioning this man, going back to her text. He was most likely weak at this point when he attempted to get up. He began to experience his healing. He was most likely weak. He might have been questioning all this because he was paralyzed. But when he attempted to get up, he found himself able to move. And then when he found himself able to move, he started picking up his mat. And then when he picked up his mat, he started walking. you got to remember... Okay, I don't know if you know this. I'm not a nurse, I'm not a doctor, but I've read a few accounts. And one of the things that happens, when you haven't moved for 38 years, it's not just, hey, uh, I got the ability to walk. Yeah, let's do the twist. No, it doesn't work that way. You have atrophying of muscles. You have things that have never been used. And so even if you have the ability to start moving again, you know, your muscles, you have to learn how to walk. It takes three, six months to learn how to walk. You have all this stuff that takes place. But that's not what happened with this man. This man, he began to move. When he began to move, instantly he was able to get his mat. And then when he got his mat, Jesus said, walk. You can't do that. He did it. Why? Because he heard the voice of God and he did what God asked him to do. Now, does that mean that sometimes that you don't experience healing progressively? No, sometimes you experience healing progressively, but what I'm trying to get you to understand is that it all begins by doing what God says to do. Right? So I believe the healing came when he obeyed and he attempted to get up. I believe that faith acted upon in obedience brings the miraculous. Faith, again, is spelled R-I-S-K. Some of y'all going, R-I-S-K. No. If you play it safe, you may avoid embarrassment, but you won't walk on the water. That's the third thing I want you to do. You focus on the invitation, accept the invitation, and then take a risk of faith. Matthew 14, 28-30, Peter answered and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter had come down on the, out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. When he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Now, when Jesus said, come, Peter heard the invitation, he accepted the invitation, and he acted in faith. Now, I can't prove this, but what do you think happened when Peter stuck his first foot over the side of the boat and into the water. I don't imagine the water felt solid. 
I think his foot went down into the water. I think that when Peter put his foot over the side of the boat, it just went in. I don't believe the miracle actually happened until Peter put both feet into the water. And he began to walk. And he said, well, I believe differently. Well, next time you preach, you preach it your way. I believe we're not going to see the miracle when we still have one foot in the boat. Because we're not exercising our faith. Until we're 100% committed to the thing that Jesus tells us to do, when we know that, there is no turning back. It's when we're willing to take risk based on faith and in obedience to His instructions. I'm not telling you to just do stuff. I'm telling you, hear from God and do what He says and be 100% committed to it. Then His glory is released in the miraculous. I know. I mean, listen, I, I know. I was being prayed for up here and, and during the that, that, uh, services that we had when, when uh, Nigel McNeil was here and he was praying for people, praying for their backs, and he would say, he's having back problems, he'd say, bend down, bend down, and next thing you know, they were touching the ground. And, he said, and he's telling me, he said, how far can you bend? I said, well, about here. You can't go any farther? I said, well, to be honest with you, I'm a little afraid to go any farther. Right? And he, he told me afterwards, he said, Rick, I think one of the things that you struggle with is you think it's too much. And it's true. I think it's too much. Right? I got to learn how to do. And but, but I'm thinking about, well, what if I do and then I don't? <laughs> I've been there before. I've done and not done. I mean, I don't like that, you know? But what I'm trying to get you to understand, I need to learn how to do is I need to learn how to bypass my my really it's in some sense it's it's that it's that reasoning i gotta figure it out it's gotta make sense to me and just do what he says some of y'all are much easier to do that than we are than i am right others of you struggle just like i do but what i'm trying to get you to understand is that don't just do it and say i'm doing it god i'm going to go on the water today and i'm going to get on the water and i'm going to walk on the water now there's a good possibility you go out in the boat in the middle of the ocean and you said i'm going to do this just like peter did that you better have a life uh, a life uh, vest on because you're going to sink why because you got to hear the voice of god Amen. you don't just do things flippantly you hear the voice of god you hear God. They say, well, what if uh, uh, somebody's telling me to do something and I don't believe it's the Lord in it? You're, you're not in faith. No. Right? But sometimes somebody will tell you something and you'll feel a breath, you'll feel a wind on that as if God is speaking to you through that other person. And then if you act in faith, that's when things happen. Yeah, sometimes, I mean, <laughs> I'm telling you, uh, sometimes they say, well, that's rid ridiculous. If somebody's hurting their foot, you don't tell them to walk on their foot. If you hear the voice of God and God says, tell them to walk on their foot, and they're going, no, 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 well, it's, nothing's going to happen. But if you're hearing the voice of God, you say, well, why would God ask us to do something? Because it's in the ridiculous that oftentimes the miraculous is manifested. Are you going to tell us to do something ridiculous? I don't plan on it. But if he tells me to tell you something, I'm just like you. I have to reason within myself, is that God? I have to take just as much of a risk. Anybody here that has a word of knowledge has to take just as much of a risk as you. Well, I don't want to be embarrassed. Neither do I. But I found that if I don't take risks, nothing happens. 
I'm praying that God's people would be saved, healed, delivered, and set free. If I want to see these things happen, I need to learn the ways of God. In learning the ways of God, it positions me to understand that God may do indeed tell me to do something that offends my mind, and it doesn't make sense, but if I feel like the Lord's in it, don't question it, just do it, and we can figure it out later. I'm not an unlearned guy. I'm not, I'm not proud, but I'm just telling you, I'm not an unlearned guy. I, 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 I'm, I'm an educated person. I study a lot, right? So I'm not just telling you stuff, you know, that uh, it's things that I've learned. It's things that I'm learning. It's things that it's the ways of God. Well, it sounds, sounds like you're not going up in your education. It sounds like you're going down. Sometimes you've got to go down to go up. You just got to have simple faith. Believe God. Trust God. Well, what if it don't? Well, what if it do? <laughs> it's when we're willing to take risks based on faith and obedience to God's instruction that His glory is released in the miraculous. 1 Kings 17, 13 through 16. I love this story. Elijah says to the woman, Do not fear. Go and do as you said. Uh, he showed up to a place. God says, I've appointed a widow there to take care of you. Only when he gets there, he realizes God hadn't told her. She's picking up sticks to cook her last meal. And he says, would you give me some water? She said, no problem. I got water. I can get you water. She said, would you make me a meal? She said, that's a problem. I'm making my last meal for me and my son. We're going to eat it and die. And Elijah said, don't fear. Go do as you've said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. Did you not just hear what I told you? Are, are, are you dance or something? I told you this is the last thing we have to eat. I'm going to have just enough to make something for myself and my son. You're telling me to feed you and then go make something for myself. That, that doesn't make sense to me. I don't think you heard me. This is the Rick's realistic version. <laughs> this is what happens in the real world when all the stuff is put in print. If, even if she didn't say it, I assure you, she's thinking it. Right? But he says to her, go make something for me, and then bring it to me, and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, this is what makes the difference. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Problem. What's the problem? Until she's willing to give away her last bit, she will not see the Word of God come into manifestation in her life. She has to be willing to follow in pure, simple faith and obedience the command that was given to her. She has to see it not as a problem, but as an invitation. She has to accept the invitation and take a risk. And what happened in her life? She went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Now, I used to say this, uh, uh, and I just, you know, thinking this in my mind, but I just now read this, and it confirms to me what I thought. It says she and he, and it didn't say her son. It says her household. Right? Sometimes, uh, uh, you know, when I go out to eat somebody with somebody and you realize that, uh, or you go somewhere with somebody and they're doing something for their family really nice, I say, would you adopt me? 
I want to be a part of your family too. <laughs> I want some of that. I believe at this particular time, her household increased exponentially. She got food in her household. How does she have food in her household? Word of the Lord came. She's got enough. Can I come to dinner? Would you adopt me? Can I be part of your household? I believe that happened. Again, Rick's realistic version. The jar of flour was not spent, neither the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Now, here's the thing. Like Peter, what we see in this widow's life is that the miracle did not happen until she gave her food away. She didn't give him a bite. She gave him the meal. She had the word of the Lord, but the word of the Lord did not yield its power until she, by faith, acted on the word and gave away all that she and her son had left to eat on. When she did, the miraculous provision of God was activated in her life, and she, her son, and the prophet of God, and it actually says her household had plenty to live on, not just for a day, not just for a week, but for the entire time there was a famine in the land. For the next three, three and a half years, there was plenty of food, and it all came from one little thing of flour and one little thing of oil. God's word is true, but she had to risk by, by, by obeying and giving away what she had in order to experience God's power in her life. And when the power of God manifested, the glory of God was revealed. So how do we end this? Through the miraculous, miraculous demonstration of God's power, and this is what we're trying to get you to see, His glory is revealed today. To experience the glory of God released through the miraculous, it's very simple. Do what He tells you to do. There is something about God telling us to do something that does not make sense in the natural that pulls on our faith. These requests are his points of contact for a release of faith because faith needs to have an element of risk for it to be faith. It's the obedience of faith that releases the power of God which in turn reveals his glory. So, why do you preach messages like this? Because we've been praying for His glory. Well, I don't want to do that to see His glory, but the Bible teaches us this is one of the ways God reveals His glory. So if we want to see the glory of God in our midst, we've got to learn how to hear the voice of God. Well, I, I hear the voice of God. I read my Bible all the time. Well, then you've got to learn to do what He says. Well, I don't want to be one of those churches. I don't, want to, I, don't want to be, I don't want to be accused of being a fanatic. Well, I don't know about you, but I am a fanatic. I'm 100% committed to the Lord, right? Now, I have areas in my life that I'm having to learn, like my mind, to reprogram to learn how to do the things of God. When you do the things of God, I've got news for you. You're going to suffer persecution. You're going to suffer, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? People are ridicule. People are going to not uh, uh, agree with you. They're going to tell you why what you're doing is foolish. You should already be used to that. Right? What we're not used to is seeing the glory of God. And if we're not used to seeing the glory of God, it's not on God's end, it's on our end. So I've been praying, God, show me what to do, because I want your glory in the house. And the Lord's showing me through His Word, through the teaching of the Word, what He's wanting us to understand about releasing the glory. It's to hear His voice and do what He says.